When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point for all of you listeners, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Tuesdays, we break down the Division I women's action and the 2024 college tennis season. It just continues to deliver thrilling tennis for fans to enjoy. Of course, we had another fascinating weekend of results this weekend. Of course, the final part of the preamble to the first major event of the 2024 team season. The national indoors kickoff this Friday in Seattle. Our Crack Rackets team is thrilled to once again be providing coverage. First ball to last of the event. Our broadcast begins 9 a.m. Pacific time on Friday. We'll have all of the round of 16 matches spread out across two feeds. We'll have all of the quarterfinal matches for you. Semifinals, finals, of course, as well as we look to crown the year's first team national champion. Of course, we'll have an entire preview of that event as soon as we have more information to preview. What do the draws look like? What do the matchups look like? What can you college tennis fans look forward to? That episode will be available for all of you listeners, I believe, Thursday morning. Of course, in the meantime, though, let's clean up all the results we saw from the past weekend and joining me to help do precisely that as he does each and every week here on this show. And as I hope he will continue to do not just this season, but moving into the future is, of course, a man you all know best as the returning champion of returning champions on our Crack Rackets podcast, founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast, our on-the-ground beat reporter at so many different events, and a man whose smiling face I will get to see, whom I will get to so warmly embrace, come at Seattle here on Thursday. It's our dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. National Indoors Fever is in the air. Have you caught it, my friend? How are you feeling? Well, I hope I catch nothing before I get to (laughs) indoors in just a few days. But yeah, I am feeling good. I survived this crazy California storm we had over the past few days. And I did that by increasing my screen time quite significantly, trying to follow (laughs) all of the matches across this country. It was a really busy weekend. Yeah, it was, again, an absolute delight and You got the brunt of my takes. I didn't get to watch any of these matches. I had to scoreboard watch old school circa the 2010s, Jay, because I was courtside in my role as MC for the Cleveland Challenger event. Of course, I recapped over on the mini break podcast feed. But yeah, men's side, women's side. It's just been a crazy start to this college tennis season. And look, 
big picture, we knew final year of super teams, right? We talked this in, about this in particular in our women's preview, Jay, the depth on the teams this year. You look at, and I'm just going to throw names out of a hat, like the Auburns, Florida's of the world, who are fighting for those eight through 10 spots traditionally with the experience, the depth those squads have. Those are top five contenders. Those are teams looking to prove themselves at an indoors that they can knock on the door of maybe a national championship run. Like they, again, you look at results, they might be on the outside looking in with how good Oklahoma State has looked already. And Pepperdine looking really good in a fight against Oklahoma State, Ohio State, Michigan, all these different teams earning signature victories in the first four weeks of the season. I love the aggressive scheduling. I love the depth. I love the parody. I love where college tennis is right now, Jay. And I know I'm Mr. Rosie. I'm Mr. Glass half full. There are a lot of things you hope to continue to build on moving forward. I'll just say this message here as I texted you. I would say if you're going to tra- talk trash, do it in public as well as in private. I think if a match happens without cameras, it just shouldn't count in the rankings moving forward because we deserve to see these things. The quality of the college tennis is too good right now, Jay, for it to be missed. That's my takeaway from the fourth week of the year. And we haven't even hit indoors. I made a very similar point when I was <laughs> on this on last week's episode of my show. We previewed TCU at uh, Tennessee at TCU. And I made the executive decision there at that point in time. We would not be previewing any more matches moving forward <laughs> that were not on a That's live funny. stream. So that was a, a mistake on our part. But I totally agree. Uh, I think the product is fantastic right now. The depth is fascinating to see and all of these new teams every year we at least on the women's side have a breakout team so it'll be interesting to see who it is this year but yeah it's a great product it's fun to watch it's great that it's it is becoming more accessible with y'all's partnership with espn and getting that on espn plus it's just so much easier to access so many more college tennis matches i've never been more jealous and i was doing something really cool again i loved being courtside i got to see a guy patrick kipson college tennis ties former AM all-american he beat last year's ncaa singles champion ethan quinn and ethan's first challenger final i got to be courtside for it it was fantastic if you guys ever hack into jay's phone North of 40 texts throughout the course of the day of me being like, what is going on? Like, no, no, no. But this one wasn't real, is it? And then Jay saying, hey, you probably missed this one. And it's like, I did miss that one. And I agree. The product is delightful. There are a lot of teams, a lot of players who have brought their best to start this 2024 season. And obviously, we want to look at some of those teams, the one in particular ones in particular, excuse me, who thrived over the course of the past weekend here on today's show. Now, again, two quick disclaimers to start. A, as I alluded to already, the National Indoors preview will come as soon as we have a draw to discuss for all of you listeners. We'll preview the round of 16 matches. We'll try to do as much recapping as we can when we're live on site or throughout the course of the day, as much as our bodies and the schedules, dare I say, uh, allow. But That's not going to be the focus here on today's podcast. Also worth noting, top new top 10 rankings here at Crack Rackets. All of our voters still have one more day to turn in their rankings. And given the fact that we'll have two women's shows for you all this week, we're just going to save those top 10 rankings for our draw preview. And dare I say, maybe we can compare our rankings to what the seeds actually look like, because that is always a fascinating thought and fascinating discussion and something I can tell you right now, we will lead off Wednesday's show, Thursday morning show. Did we get the seeds right? That will be the opening topic. So we'll save 
our thoughts, the contrast of our top 10 for Wednesday's show. But again, we still got a lot of good storylines to discuss. Ohio State, Texas, indoor seedings, implication type results, San Diego, so much more. So, Jay, with that said, let's get into everything we saw on in week number four of the 2024 college tennis season. It starts with the Buckeyes in Ohio State. And, you know, again, we have both made the joke over the years. There have been particularly of late. We've seen the Buckeyes go on runs like this uh, at the start of years when things are indoors. And in particular, whenever teams have to travel to Columbus, it is always just a brutal experience uh, to try and beat the Buckeyes on their home courts. Well, we saw that play out once again over the course of the past weekend as Ohio State welcomed a couple of top 25 teams in UCLA, in Duke. And I really love the fact that given both were in town, UCLA Duke played a match as well on Ohio State's court on a weekend, by the way, where the Ohio State men played Wake Forest and Virginia. Like this was just what a weekend of college tennis in Columbus. I Hope more programs can find ways to do things like that moving forward because, oh, my goodness, is that spectacular. But, you know, let's focus on the Buckeyes first, Jay. 4-0 over UCLA, 4-0 over Duke. Yeah, there were some 3-0 results, certainly on the board. But, again, you look for the Buckeyes. They take doubles in both matches, uh, three set matches, excuse me, within the course of these. But Buckeyes take doubles point in each of these matches. They get two, three, uh, two, excuse me, three straight set victories. That's how you say that. The numbers are jumbled. They win the doubles point, Jay, and three straight set singles victories in each of these matches on their way to 4-0. And we can examine the mechanics of who had success in a second, but just surface value. You win doubles and three straight set matches in singles. That is a clean day at the office. And when you're doing that against top 20 competition, how can the Buckeyes not have our attention, Jay, given the resume they've now racked up? Wins over Oklahoma, Duke, UCLA heading into the national indoors. Took a doubles point, obviously, against probably the number two team in the country right now, Oklahoma State. You're feeling really good if you are now program all-time wins leader, Melissa Schaub and the Ohio State women's tennis team. Yeah, you're feeling really good, particularly because, yes, we've seen this sort of result from Ohio State early in the season before. But what makes this so impressive is how many new faces they're doing it with. So they have three freshmen you know, sprinkled throughout this lineup. And that wasn't the case in the past few years where you had more of a, a veteran lace team throughout that lineup. So it's been very impressive how easily these freshmen have transitioned, how they have transitioned as well to these top tier top 15 type matchups it's not like they're starting with some cupcakes so it's been super impressive from ohio state they've also had to do it on the road which sometimes they haven't done in the past and they get to play a lot of these matches at home and certainly the majority of these matches are in columbus certainly kickoff weekend and then this past weekend against duke and ucla but i think the fact that they've already gone to Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to me adds a little bit more street cred to sure. this five and one record. I'm super impressed. I'm excited to see them in Seattle. It feels very real what they're doing. And uh, I would also shout out Irina Contos as mm -hmm. well. 
fantastic weekend for her, getting wins over Shavit Kimchi of Duke and Fungrantian of UCLA. You mentioned Coach Schaub, winningest coach in Ohio State program history. Irina Contos, now the winningest singles player in Ohio State history. So I don't think we had this circled on our bingo card coming into the season, just the standout performance of Ohio State, but standout performance it has been. Two points off of that. One, it is worth noting for Southern Western schools who don't have indoor facilities, there's only so many places you can go. And Columbus is one of those places you'll choose to go. Michigan, one of those places I think you choose to go early in the season, right, for a trip like this. So just to the point of why are these matches at home for the Buckeyes, that kind of, like, again, we've also had national indoors in Chicago, in Madison, a trip through Columbus before that stretch Kind of makes some sense for a lot of these top teams. Again, it also is worth noting, as you alluded to, Buckeyes went to Oklahoma for an early road trip this season. And obviously the level they showed there has carried over into their home matches. You mentioned Arena Contos. She didn't just beat Kim Chi and Tien in straight sets. She dropped a total of nine games in those two matches. That is, I mean, she's an All-American. She's the wins leader. That's in the gal running type of results from Contos. And if that's who she's going to be at the top spot for these Buckeyes, it's going to be a really tough out because whomever clearly is playing three, one of the lessons from this weekend, Ratliff played three in one of the matches, freshman Luciana Perry played the other. They got straight set wins and they have both, you know, when Ratliff's been in the three position as she has been, this was the first match she played two. She has been exceptional at number three to start this year. And I know Chavez, I think, stumbled and banged up her wrist during the course of one of the matches. That wa- That's why she wasn't in singles The se- yeah. in the second UCLA one. UCLA match. Yeah, but, but here's another. Uh, she's not a newcomer in the sense that she's a senior. But Madeline Atway hasn't gotten a lot of run in matches like this uh, prior in her career. And she has been at that three double spot with Taya Chavez. Comes in at the number six spot and is up six three six five on UCLA's uh, Amani Guichard as well. They have depth. They have options. They have experience combined with freshful, uh, freshman youthful and talented exuberance. Like it's a fun combination. I'm excited to see how they do over the course of three consecutive days at the indoors. I think that's the big question because. Yeah. Coming into indoors last year, they were coming off of that win over Georgia and certainly in a very similar position to where they are now, where you were going, wow, this is looks to be a top eight team. Could they push even higher? And they kind of stumbled at indoors last year. And you thought, okay, maybe this is really just a Columbus special sauce that exists for them. So that's what I'll be looking for uh, in Seattle. Yeah, uh, again, it's going to be fun to see where the Buckeyes are seated as well because a resume of Duke, UCLA, Oklahoma, they beat Notre Dame, I want to say first match of – And Arizona State. Those are all top 35 teams. Like, those are five really good wins. And, look, the singles was pretty straightforward in their matchup with Oklahoma State, but they took a doubles point on the road. And, you know, again, we're not formula-based right now. It's a fascinating resume. It really is. And certainly one, again, we will be watching for uh, when the seeding comes out. Just to clean up this region, Duke, the team that gets a win, uh, doesn't uh, avoids the 0-2, I suppose, the, the goose egg. They get a 4-0 win over UCLA as well. Nice bounce back for a Blue Devils team that we're not going to see at the national indoors. Obviously, we're not going to see UCLA either. So this was an important match for both sides. You know, for Duke to bounce back, 
take the doubles point seven six at the number three spots. Schwetz and Bryce Galova, the veterans, pull it out there. And then, you know, again for Duke, straight set wins from Brianna Schwetz at six. She's playing well to start this season. Jay. Ellie Coleman gets a six and three win at three. And then in the end, it's Kimchi at the number two spot, six one in the third. She knocks out Kimmy Hans. Takeaways for the Blue Devils for the Bruins from this weekend? Well, yes. Yeah, so I was wrong. I thought they were going to go 0-2, and, and this was a much-needed win for this Duke team. And UCLA's ranking is going to be pretty good throughout the season. I think, one, they're definitely within top 16 range, and also that win over Texas, a very shorthanded Texas, will continue to appreciate over time. So this is a great win for Duke, cer- certainly one that they need, not going to indoors and and then heading into their ACC schedule. I was surprised by the scoreline. I didn't expect uh, UCLA after they pushed Oklahoma State so hard at kickoff. I didn't expect this UCLA team to go 0-2 here. Yeah, tough weekend for Tien. I mean, again, she was down to uh, to Duke's Emma Jackson in that match at the number one spot. It was 6-2, 6 all you know, tiebreaker there. Jackson could have closed things out. I mean, again, though, across the board, I, I don't know what these two teams are yet. Duke and UCLA, I feel very similarly about. I like the talent they have. I like all six players in each position. You know, again, it's clear. F- I I don't know how much indoors plays a factor in it, how much Fang Tian has played indoors in her career. But I imagine it's more than you'd think, right, Jay? Well, I asked her about that when yeah. she played her <laughs> semifinal match indoors in NCAAs, and she actually grew up only playing indoors. She okay. grew up playing indoors in Beijing, so she was very comfortable indoors. Now, I have no idea what the Beijing indoor courts are versus Columbus and very how much true. of that plays a factor, but uh, yeah, I'm sure she will be delighted to get outdoors as well. Yeah, again, for Kimmy Hans, tight, tough weekend, but couple of tight matches for her as well what she was up on Ratliff and in a third or played to a third in that UCLA uh, in the Duke match I'm not selling my stock I guess on Duke or UCLA yet I still have them in that top 16 bubble is that fair I think it's very fair and I'm curious to see who pops in three months when we get into into May but it was a little disappointing that this sort of rematch of that Sweet 16 Super Regional was only this like 4-0 blowout. And we didn't really have any um, down-to-the-wire matches there. But yeah, I think both are top 16 hunt. Duke, I probably gave a second look to after this win. So here's how we'll leave this. Over under one and a half of these teams make the Sweet 16. Ohio State, UCLA, Duke. You taking the over or the under? I'll take the over. Yeah, I think that's... And that's probably where you want to be because, again, UCLA's had a strong start to their season. We've talked about them a lot. That's what went down in Columbus this weekend. Another place we got to turn our attention to, Jay Austin, where shout out to the Texas Longhorns, a massive bounce back for them. Now, maybe bounce back's a little bit extreme, but this is the first significant data point they have certainly put forward. And dare I say we got one and a half data points from their two results. The big one, of course, the headline 4-3 win for them over number four, Georgia. A match clinched at the number five spot, Taya Pachkaleva, 4-6-6-4-6-3 over GG Grant. This match had three three-set uh, three, three matches in singles. This match saw Texas, dare I say, win a pretty decisive doubles point over Georgia. Jay, this was a really good win for the Longhorns. And, you know, again, on the Georgia side, it was Gigi Grant, Minor Undorn, the juniors at the five and six spots. That does still seem to be the combination the Bulldogs are going with early. 
This was just a good match, Jay. This told me more about Texas than any concern bubbles I think come up for Georgia. It's that they do have the depth you thought they might coming into the season. Yeah, well, even without the loss or even with sure. the loss of Nicole Rivkin. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, another great Texas match we cannot watch indoors. I'm excited for them to bring indoor streaming soon. And uh, But shout out to the people who sent me information about this match, kind of sent me some videos. It was much appreciated. Yeah, I was really impressed by Texas in this match. Obviously, they roll in doubles, but then Georgia came back really strong. They took five first sets, almost took six first sets, and uh, Texas rebounded, particularly Shavathapan and Pachkaleva there at the four and five spot. I think a big takeaway so far for Texas has been how strong Sabina Zainalova has looked at that number one spot. She DNF'd against Van Gruntian. This was a 7-5, 7-6 type match in the third against Alexandra Vekic. So very impressive performance from her. It sounds like she's added a lot more to her game. It sounds like the serve has improved a lot. So Excited to see that in Seattle. And yeah, again, I think you're right. This told us more about Texas. Tough loss for Georgia, certainly with the, the comeback for the five first sets. But I still have questions for them towards that bottom of the lineup. And Mel Riasco indoors is probably always going to be a little bit of an Achilles heel. But yeah, I think learn more about Texas. There's no doubt the lefty Riasco at her most effective on those outdoor courts, which she can work you around with the angles and it's not a windy day. She doesn't love, but that three spot is where we have to start, right? That senior Malika Rapalu, the level we saw from her in the fall has translated to the number three spot this early for the Longhorns. You know, you mentioned they almost dropped six first sets. She wins that eight, six breaker in that first set at the number three spot. Again, a match we didn't get to see, but we know how momentum works, how things can slowly shift. And yeah, again, if I would have told you before this match that Rapal or excuse me that Rapolo beats Riasco uh, or excuse me that Uvrutsky doesn't win at the number six spot, but Texas wins the match four three, I think I would have been surprised by that. Given Uvrutsky's there as a consistency at that spot, how I think depth is going to be the the key thing uh, for Texas. But again, they win this match without Ruvrutsky. They get the Rapalu win over Riasco at three. Good win for Vidmanova very quietly. Three and three over Sassanaskaya. Like a forgotten scoreline. Probably the most straightforward match we saw other than that number six spot. It's a really good win for Texas. If you're Georgia, what's the seed for the Bulldogs coming into the national indoors? Because again, yeah, they played this match extraordinarily close. Score lines on the UNC match pretty lopsided. Like, I don't know. Like it what is there? What's the case for them being a top eight seed if not just projection on talent? Yeah, and that's why it's so interesting that we do these seedings based off of coaches poll because Georgia doesn't have any signature win, right? And their best win is South Carolina uh in the kickoff weekend. So I think they stay top eight, though, uh, just based on talent and projections. And I feel like I don't know how much stock coaches will put in this, and it might just be subconscious, but we saw them look disheveled in that Ohio State match before indoors. Then they go on and make the indoor final. So I think coaches will want to have them seated off of respect and talent. I agree. Uh, they're last year's finalists. I think they should still have a single digit next to their name. Now, if that single digit is a seven or an eight instead of a three or a four, I think that's very justified. Just given, again, there are other teams with better wins in this field. Well, there are 
only single digits uh, in your name in women's indoors. They only see top eight. That. See, this is why we keep them on the show, folks. That's that's exactly what we love them for. It's a great win for Texas. Uh, again, they fight back to your point from five first sets down, and they take a pretty decisive doubles point as well. Always a fun team to watch at the indoors. And by the way, they get a good 7-0 win over Wisconsin as well. My Wisconsin bubble might be bursting, Jay. This one was a tough result uh, for the Badgers. They dropped the doubles point. I think they drop all six matches in straight sets in singles as well. Nevertheless, good weekend for the Longhorns. And clearly you all are sensing this theme of our conversation. How can we not have one eye looking towards the national indoors? So these next category of matches I want to talk about, Jay, all matches, in my opinion, that have to impact the seeding. When you look at the national indoors, the resumes we have to date, let's start with the fact that Oklahoma State needs to be the number two seed. The resume they have is unimpeachable. They beat Ohio State and Michigan. You know, again, they beat UCLA in kickoff weekend. Now they get a win over Pepperdine 4-2, a match that I unfortunately did not get the chance to actually watch. But of course, shout out Perry Shinen, who was on the call for it on ESPN+. Plus. I know you were following this one. You said it felt like three different times Pepperdine should have lost this match sooner than they did. Explain what you mean to the listeners, Jay. Talk me through the drama that was ultimately the 4-2 win for the Cowgirls. Well, this match certainly lived up to the hype and shout out to both of these coaches scheduling this match early. And I think surprisingly, you saw who came out. I mean, who took the doubles point? Now I'm forgetting. <laughs> Oklahoma State. Six Oklahoma wins okay. at the two. This is what, okay. Now I'm now I'm remembering. It's back. Oklahoma- it's back. Oklahoma State takes a doubles point and they roar out early in singles. I mean, it looked like this match was going to be over very quickly. And then slowly but surely, Pepperdine started chipping away at that lead, whether it was Savannah Brodus in the nick of time coming back in that second set, starting to control herself a little bit more against Kajuru. You started to see the battles at five and six with, you know, Redelic, Campania. Uh, it was a slow fight back from Pepperdine as they started to flip a lot of those second sets and vice versa as well. You had Lucia Pyre kind of fighting with Janice Chen there at the number three spot. I thought this match was over probably an hour and a half before it actually finished. And I sent a few texts. I sent one text actually uh, being like, would it be crazy to put Oklahoma state at number one? Like, would that just be (laughs) insane? And yet it would be, but Oklahoma State just was looking very dominant, and um, ultimately they did come out with the win, but it was a fantastic match. Straight resume, no one is better than Oklahoma State, and to your point, they take doubles and four first sets. They get doubles, they get first sets at the numbers, uh, or maybe it was three first sets. No, four first sets. Doubles and first sets at two, uh, three, five, and six. Now, in the end, Ayumi Miyamoto, straight set win over freshman Jasmine Conway, 0-3 at 5. Christina Novak pushed a 3 to your point, 6-3, 6-7, win over Anna Campagna. Just quick cleanup, you said 5, that's where obviously she's been for a couple of years now. Nikki Redelick at 4 uh, with Sophia Carrington, 5-4, that match went unfinished. But yeah, this match had, I think, what, one, two, three, four different three-set singles matches. Uh, again... That Czar Brodus look the part that they always have in those top two, three positions. Even Chen, a good three-set match against Lucia Pyre, who has been playing as well as anyone, I would say, over the course of the past six months. And to have her at three speaks to the depth on the Oklahoma State roster. But here's the biggest thing. 
Oklahoma State has now done this four different times already going into the indoors. It's not just that they have the best resume. It's that they're the most callous. It's that they have the most belief now that this group that had a lot of new pieces being worked in. Yeah, we know these pieces, but Carrington and Komar have played together. Never, never with an Obi Kajuru, who's never played with this version of a Lucia Pyre, a Christina Novak, who goes from the top two spots to saying, yeah, sure, I'll play six behind Ayumi Miyamoto because that's where this team needs me right now. And everyone is embracing their role because they keep on winning, Jay. And again, it's it's a, it's a dream start for a team that's hosting NCAAs this year. Like right now, the dominoes keep falling. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, but they continue to win in new ways. Yeah. I mean, they go 0-2 at those top spots. Lisa Zar takes out Komar. Savannah Bros comes back to beat uh, Obi Kajuru, and they still find ways to win with depth. And yeah. so it feels like they've done this with every different permutation. Maybe the exception is Sophia Carrington is always like the last one out on court, but uh, everyone else has really found ways to win. And that's been the impressive part. Very callous coming in to endorse. And it's something we always have to monitor. Barring a disaster of an 0-3 weekend, this team probably comes out of indoors with their top eight seed locked. And that means just the road comes through Stillwater because Jay, they've beaten a Michigan an Ohio State team that are both top 12 at worst to end the year, we'll say, given the resumes they've accumulated. You beat a Pepperdine team that it'll be interesting again once we go formula-based where things shake out and certainly how they perform in the indoors will impact that. But right now, Pepperdine certainly looked the part of top 10 teams. So that's another one on the resume with Texas earning this victory uh, over Georgia. Like that's another opportunity for them. It's, I would say right now it's a 72% likelihood that just they're going to get to play in Stillwater for as long as they stay alive in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and that was the whole goal, yeah. right? I think this has gone you can ask for. very much according to script. Certainly, it would have been well within the realm of expectation to be dropping some of these matches early in the season, so they couldn't have asked for anything better. I think there's very much a world where if – Oklahoma State and North Carolina meet in the indoor final that this Oklahoma State team comes out of indoors ranked number one because North Carolina's first round match is probably going to be Washington. So they've got a lot of ranked wins. Let's just say that. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to watch for other side quickly. What was your Pepperdine impression? Because I didn't get to see this one. So I defer to you here. The known pieces, I think, look good. Mm -hmm. I think Lisa's are. I mean, that is a impressive win to knock out Komar, who has just been primetime player for the the cowgirl so far. That's a great win. Brodus is Brodus. Conway does not look ready for this position. Now, I don't know if that is just a freshman playing in these big experiences for the first time. She, I think, was the weak link in this match. Uh, everything else you feel really good about, with the exception of Conway. And then again, it's Janice Chen watched the entire season. She probably needs to be winning that match. Yeah, that's a swing match there, certainly. And again, then it's down to Nikki Redlick. And we've all been there before. And so I think Pepperdine. Oklahoma State has been there before. Yeah, literally. And down to 3-3, Redlick. It speaks for itself. And so, again, that's a big match, Oklahoma State. To Jay's point, the resume is better than UNC, but 
hey, we've played the National Indoors nine times since 2015. Nine times we've seen UNC in the National Indoor Finals. Six times we've seen them walk away with the title. And, oh, by the way, they brought back all seven starters from last year's team. So, yeah, they're the number one seed. I think that's going to make sense to all of us college tennis fans out there. Next up, Jay, if I'd have told you that NC State loses doubles and Rejecki against Tennessee – You'd think the Vols might have walked away with the upset, right? Instead, it's NC State scrapping by 4-3 victory for the Wolfpack, a match ultimately clinched at 4-2, excuse me, clinched at 4-1, I believe, at the number two spot uh, by, no, clinch 4-2, am I getting this wrong? Yes, that's it, clinch 4-2, there it is, leave it all in, Westoff, 6-4 at the number six spot. By Gina Dittman, uh, ultimately Anzalota closes out freshman Maddie Zampardo 6-3. That was the result at 5 to make things 4-3. But Jay, 1,000-foot view, so a little bit closer up. NC State loses a doubles point. That doesn't happen very often. 10,000-foot view? This team just got a win, losing the doubles point and Rejecki. It's a good thing for a team to have under their belts going into a national indoors where everyone's going to have a really good number one singles player. Everyone's going to come out with a little bit extra fire in that doubles point. It's a good callus to build up going into the indoors. It's a good win for this NC State squad. Another fun match for Tennessee, who's just going to be this team all year long. That's very clear. They're going to be the 4-3 darlings. Fits their personality. They're gritty. They're tough. It's a heck of a win for the Wolfpack, Jay. Yeah, and I think there were a lot of fight backs. I mean, this is a very topsy-turvy match, but for NC State in particular, you know, you had Rancelli who loses her first set. She comes back to win her match. You had Sophie Abrams take a 6-0 third set, which is an impressive win over Elsa Tomase, who's been a top player for her few seasons there at Tennessee. And then for Gina Dittman to lose that first set 6-0, and then squeak out that second set, 7-6, and then go on to get the clincher. It was a good performance from a lot of them. Now, NC State was on the other side of some of those fight backs with Sofia Cabezas getting really a career win for her, beating Amelia Rejecki. Yeah, to your point, if you had told me NC State loses dubs and Rejecki and they're playing Tennessee of all teams, I'd say in like, In Knoxville, oh. by the way. In Knoxville, yeah. I'd say, yeah, Tennessee has absolutely the the pieces uh, to win that match. And so it's a good match for NC State to build off of and have that belief moving forward. It's another reminder, Tennessee, uh, Tennessee, excuse me, is good everywhere. Like Cabezas in this instance, doubles and Zalota are the ones who get the wins. But we've seen Wolfberg, we've seen Aliyah, we've seen Tomase. And in this instance, they go Adashina at six. We've seen them all pull through. Tennessee is good at every position. You mentioned it. That's a massive win for Ren Shelley. It's a massive win for the freshman Zeranova, right? On the road against Aaliyah. Good win for Abrams as well to pull through Dittman in these three set positions. Now that they're the veterans, dare I say, expected to do this. They did. They went out on the road. They got three set victories in the case of Dittman from a six love first set down. It's a heck of a win for the Wolfpack. Again, Tennessee may not be at the national indoors. They're still in the top 16 bubble, right? Like they're going to get a a 4-3 win over someone really, really good at some point this season. Obviously, the win over Vanderbilt got all of our attention, but I just it's going to happen, Jay. 
Well, it got our attention because they came back from 3-0 down. I don't know if it was uh, the marquee match they're hoping for this season. It's tough for them to be on the losing end of USC and NC State here, absolutely. Eventually, you think these matches are going to go in their favor. There's a lot of points to go around in the SEC this season for the women. So, yeah, the season is not lost, certainly, for Tennessee, uh, although it's been a few heartbreaks in terms of not getting to indoors and losing some of these early season matchups. I agree. Again, big win for NC State uh, as they continue to build their resume towards seeding. Next up, you want to put a nickel on the fact that it'll be Michigan UVA for the 900th consecutive time in the first round at the national indoors. And of course, uh, that was a matchup we saw last season. That was a matchup we saw in the Sweet 16 last season. It was a matchup we saw this weekend in Ann Arbor as the Wolverines ultimately survive 5-2 uh, to knock off Virginia. Now, again, there were moments in this match. I think Collard went up an early break on Lily Jones in the third Ziadato was up like seven six six five on Mesacharito, and Subash had just forced a third with Jaden Brown, and it was I think three two overall, or maybe two all overall, but some uh, to the point where it was like, oh okay, like Virginia's kind of got the momentum in this match, but credit to the Wolverines ultimately pulling things out. Lily Jones, I think from two love down six, two, she takes that deciding set at six. You had ultimately Jaden Brown winning her match in three sets against Natasha Subash. Wolverines get a doubles point as they continue to play around with their lineups. This time it's Anna Ross, the fifth year transfer and Lily Jones, the sophomore with a win at two, the freshman Reese Miller, Piper Charney, seven, five win at three, by the way, really good win for Collard and Jervinsky six, two at the top spot over Brown and Miller. Jay big takeaways for the Wolverines, obviously great for Jaden Brown to get a win like this, given her struggles early in the year, similar story for Lily Jones to pull through in a moment like this, be the clincher. Great for her to have that sort of win, given her struggles in the Oklahoma weekend. But, man, Miller and Fleekner, I, I can't call her Fleekner. Miller and Julia continue to be really good at those top two spots. Another straight set win for Kari Miller to start this year, this time over Annabelle Shue. Fleekner now has beaten Obi Kajuru and Heba Shake. Good win for the Wolverines, Jay. Yeah, I mean, Fleener's been a lot of people other yeah. than uh, those two. But a dual match. Yeah, you're right. It wins <laughs> over, uh, I forget who played two. Tani Ma, it, it, she's had a lot of good wins this season uh, in both the fall and the spring. Yeah, she's playing great. I do think very specifically for Jaden Brown and Lily Jones to get wins here is exactly what they needed as they prepare for indoors because those had been two of the spots that had been struggling so far early in this season. Can I add a half spot to that? Anna Ross also on that list of like, okay, her with Lily Jones, they get a big win at two, especially after the number one team, Brown and Miller don't lose often. Like I think she belongs on that same list of needed a win and got it. Yeah, and maybe that will be the pair they'll move forward with. So I think for this Michigan team, that was really critical. I actually felt like there was a lot of good takeaways on the Virginia side as well. But I will say, I felt like the things turned when Fliegner got that second set tiebreak because that was where you had all of those matches down below three, four, five, six. It seemed like they were going in Virginia's favor. And for her to put that tiebreak on the board, get off and to put them up uh, 3-0, which I think was um, impressive. 
three one. Just to be clear, that was the score line. So to clarify, Michigan takes doubles. Kari Miller first oh, off. Travinsky gets the win at five, and that's when the momentum again. Shake is near forcing a third. Yep. Subash is near forcing a third. Mesa is down. Lily Jones is down a first set. And that's when it was like, okay, like it might be 2-1 or Fliegner, you know, 2-1 on the scoreboard. But Virginia takes this Fliegner set. It is anyone's match. And you're absolutely right. That was the thing Michigan needed to just keep themselves enough ahead to pull out uh, to pull out the match. And by the way, Wolverine side, you can win without Gala. This is proof. It can happen, Jay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe it helped that she got off the court so uh, er, earlier than some of the others uh, because... Well, no, she was scrapping. Like, it was 3-1, and it was like, you know, again, it was. I felt like it was always Ziadato. I was scoreboard watching, so I don't think. I know. It was always 7-6, 3-2 Ziadato, now 3-all. 4-3 Ziadato, now, you know, 4-all, whatever. And she just kind of hung around as well to keep things alive. So it did go to script. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but on the Virginia side, I don't really think they have a strong top two punch right now to hang with a lot of these teams. But everything else after that yeah. is really good. For Zia Dato to beat Gala Mesotrito in straight sets, very impressive. For Travinsky, who we didn't see all fall to come out and beat Charney in straight sets, if she can start moving her way back up the lineup where we saw her in her first two seasons at Virginia, that would really help this team. And, you know, for for Collard to kind of be there in three sets, she didn't play a lot at six last season. I felt like, okay, Virginia really is a top 16 team and is going to continue to push for top 10, top 12 type positioning. Yeah, I felt like that was a match Michigan had to win. It was a really good uh, that Virginia pushed them as closely as they did with this group this early, still trying to figure out where all the pieces fit. I do think glass that's a glass half full loss for Virginia that you come out feeling. All right, we pushed them really hard on their home courts. We feel that we have a very talented group and we could maybe even win that match on neutral courts if it is played again for the 900th time consecutively in Seattle. Last but not least, Jay, and I say this in the spirit of firing a take at you like. 2018 Alex Gruskin version of me might have We're trying gone. to bring him back. We're trying to bring him back. Ed, you've done a good job of coaxing me out, Jay. Shout out to you. How is Texas A&M not the 15 seed? Like all due respect to Washington, but what's the, uh, cause all these other teams have really good resumes and all due respect to the Aggies who were our preseason top 14. Like we respect the talent on their top five, whatever they were. We respect the talent on this Texas A&M roster, but they have struggled to start this season. Obviously, the tough weekend out west where they fall to San Diego. A loss that, by the way, is aged fine, and we'll talk about San Diego in a second, but now they get knocked out in Coral Gables, 4-3 by Miami in a match where, by the way, you know, again, they won the doubles, but credit to Miami. Wins at the five and six spots in straight sets, spots that, dare I say, Texas A&M has struggled out of the gates in through these first four weeks of play, and then this is where you just got to give a tip of the cap to the Hurricanes, Alexa Noel, Isabel Fenning, Isabella Fenning, excuse me, three set wins over Stoyana and Kieran respectively. Now they both have that sort of tennis within them. So that is not completely outside of the realm of the expected, but nevertheless, extraordinarily impressive. Still, it's a tough loss for Texas A&M to take before this national indoors. Jay and I get back to you look at their resume compared to everyone else's. They will not have an eight 
next to their name. That I can tell you for sure. They will be one of the unseeded nine through 16 in the draw. Yeah. And I mean, the hot take is that this is a team that's going to be worse indoors because unlike last year, they do not have a lot of players that are going to be as are going to be better indoors. I mean, departing from that team, Carson Brandstein, Salma Ewing, JC Goldsmith, all as good, if not better indoors than they are outdoors. This team, not the case. So I don't know if they're going to be the 15 seed, but I think they're going to be flirting with that range for sure. And I think what's really tough right now is this is a Miami team that just went 0-2 mm-hmm. at kickoff weekend. It's not a Miami team that just lost in a tough region in the second round 4-3. I mean, they looked disheveled in that Tennessee region. And yes, uh, this is a rematch of the All-American final with Alexa Noel now coming out on top uh, against Mary Stoyana. That's fantastic tennis, um, you know, so not much to do there. But five and six is a struggle and to not even get a set there for Texas A&M against Miami and one of them being a bagel, really tough. We know the difficulties of the South Florida stretch. Uh, Miami, Florida State, they're always going to knock out someone during the course of the year. But yeah, I mean, look. Miami was down a doubles point, and Cooper's won 0-1 in about 22 minutes. They win the other five first sets. This was a must-have win for this Miami group to right the ship and avoid the complete disaster, and they get the bounce back. Now, again, the best part if you're head coach Mark Weaver and this A&M squad is you have the indoors coming up. All that frustration you feel after these results, you bottle it. You, no one's going to want to face AM round one as one of the unseated teams, Jay. They still present that sort of scary test on paper, and we're still early enough in the season where on paper scares still scare any coach. I think that's the case during any part of the season, but maybe more so here at the indoors. Still, it's a tough one. Like Again, they will not be a top eight seed. It's they And they kind of need a good start here. Otherwise, there's a lot of pressure come conference play if they want to make a top eight push come the NCAA tournament, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, the losses that they've taken now are going to weigh them down for the duration of the season. And so to offset those losses, you need to get high quality wins and they're going to be in the gauntlet in the SEC this year. So they'll definitely have opportunity, but yeah, they'll be looking at indoors as an opportunity to rebound. Yeah, and we'll look forward to uh, watching them try to do so. Last but not least, in terms of a big topic I want to hit here uh, on today's show, how about San Diego top 16 watch? I mean, what a fascinating first six matches of the season for San Diego. Starts out 5-2 loss to Stanford, then a uh, 5-2 win over Texas A&M. They go to kickoff weekend 4-0. They knock out Wake Forest. Really fun 4-3 loss to Florida in the regional final. Now this weekend, 4-3 win over USC, 4-1 win over Arizona State. Apologies for the phone in the background. I will call you back later, Dad, but that's a fun first six matches, right? For a team that, given their non-Power 5 status, has to schedule aggressively if they want to make a top 16 push. And unfortunately, we're not going to see them at the indoors. But that's the key word, unfortunately, Jay, because I'll tell you what. I guess maybe the AM win, not as valuable as we might have thought. Still valuable, though. Wins over AM, SC, Arizona State, 4-3 loss to Florida, 5-2 loss to Stanford. That's a that's a team, Jay. That's a team that belongs in the top 16 conversation. 
Yeah, they've been really impressive. It's helpful, I think, for them to play a lot of those matches at home. I know those courts are pretty slow and, and tough for newcomers to adapt. But yeah, I mean, they pushed Florida. That was a brutal match for San Diego. So I'm sure this weekend helped solve some of those wounds from Florida to get sure. both of these wins, both against USC, helpful um, for De Los Harris to get the clinch over USC and also beating Arizona State. Yeah, this is a team definitely to watch for. It'll be tough to get a lot more points on the board, but um, given their conference, but yeah, we'll see if they can make the top 16 push. They'll probably get crowded out though, unless Texas A&M continues to push back into like the top five. So we'll have to see, but they look really good top to bottom. We knew this coming into the season, but the drop-off between one and six, very minimal on this team. Or they could be Pepperdine, and then who knows what happens. But there you go. look for San Diego to take the doubles point, get three straight set wins against, uh, against I'm blanking, Arizona State. Excuse me, to drop the doubles point, but get four straight set wins against Arizona State. That speaks to their depth in singles against USC. And once again, three sets for Claudia Las Harris. This time she's on the winning side, Jay. That's a really nice bounce back from her. And again, they take a doubles point over a USC team that I was really impressed by their doubles in Knoxville. So again, I'm, I, I'm sure there have not been that many San Diego wins over USC to Southern California rivals, certainly in women's tennis, particularly in recent history with San Diego rising the way it has. That's a really good win for the San Diego program, and they belong in the top 25, certainly right now, in the ITA rankings, maybe even in the top 15 if you look at the resume. They've started to rack up to start this season. On the USC side, I don't actually think it's a bad loss. Like, again, they dropped the doubles. It came down to a breaker. Uh, three sets, Snow Hans on the wrong end of things. But, like, you know, again, they're playing Cayetano at five. And she's having success there, but like it kind of makes sense because they got a lot of talent in their singles lineup, Jay. I, I don't think this is a bad loss. It tells me once again more about San Diego is this good, not that USC doesn't also belong in this top 16 conversation. Yeah, I think that's fair. And also San Diego is just a tough place to play. And, you know, they played San Diego very close here. I think Cayetano probably should move up at this point now that she's been getting some wins pretty quickly there at number five position. But yeah, I don't think I think this the USC we saw get out of that Tennessee region, a region that had Miami, who just beat Texas A&M. Like, I think that is the real USC. And so I think both of these teams are very similarly matched. Unfortunately for San Diego, they're not going to indoors. Yeah. Depth parity. It's one of the defining features of this season. Last but not least, Jay, want to throw some results at you. You tell me what you think. Florida 4-2 over Florida State. Uh, no Sarah Dahlstrom, which is something to watch. I know she was injured in their match against San Diego. Kavia Lopez, I think, was up 6-0-5-2. Maybe had a match point before kind of falling apart there. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's good that they got the win. Good that they avoided the upset. Yeah, good one for Carly Briggs over Vic Allen at the top spot. 6-0, and good win uh, there for the Florida senior. She tries to solidify her hold there. Auburn, 4-2 over Texas Tech. Again, given the adversity they've gone through, just always feels worth noting the Tigers' results this season. Yeah, they haven't lost since this news has come out, uh, but no Selene Ovunk for them this weekend, so that's another thing to watch at indoors. Speaking of which, Washington, 4-2 over Baylor, 6-1 over Boise State. Are they going 0-3 or no, Jay? Yeah. 
But I will say, I mean, they are a very fiery team. They still have a lot of experience on this roster. I surely expect them to push a few of these teams, particularly in that in that final match. And um, they're not a pushover, uh, despite me saying they're going to go 0-3. Them at Nordstrom is always just fun. Exactly. I agree. It's going to be matches still worth watching. South Carolina, 4-3 over Georgia Tech. Now, again, that's a tough one for the Yellow Jackets who did get a 4-3 win of their own over Northwestern. But is South Carolina where the top 16 conversation should end? Jay, is that the last team on the fringes of like, if everything breaks right, maybe? I mean, if everything breaks right, maybe. Uh, Which is the fringe of the conversation where it's like, yeah, if, sure. If your team is good enough to where if things do break right, like I know that sounds ridiculous, but I'm just saying like they have enough talent to where if things did break right, like them being top 16, we'd be like, oh, yeah, because Ackley and Hamner were that good all year long and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So and we're more generous on in February yeah, exactly. than we will be in exactly. April. And so, sure. I mean, the confounding part about one thing break wrong. And then it's like, yeah, you're not top 16. Not top 16. Yeah, I, what was confounding about that match was Carol Lee. She does get the win over Ayanna Ackley. Uh, so we'll have to see. What Georgia Tech is going to be on monitor uh, watch all season. Yeah, well said. All right, last but not least, Jay, before I let you go, we've talked about everything Division One women's side. And as we've alluded to, obviously, kickoff weekend draw preview to come later this week. But... It's been a busy week in the college tennis world. And before I let you go, we had a lot of chaos on the men's side this past weekend, Jay. I mean, the amount of teams not at the national indoors, as you like to phrase it, who have wins over teams who will be at the national indoors in New York. It's staggering entering this year. And again, Virginia's Virginia, you know, the way you know they're going to win a national championship is if they're 500 after six plus matches. And right now that's the case. But it's just like, is it weird? Is it right? Is it what's going on? What are your thoughts on everything we've seen? Yeah, I do think we are seeing a lot more teams that are not going to indoors beat indoor going teams. And that does feel notable because typically particularly at this point in the season, there's only been maybe a few weekends. Most of the teams that are going to indoors have likely only lost to other teams going to indoors. There's a lot more instances where that is not the case this season on the men's side. We just talked about an example on the women's side where San Diego beats USC. There's so many examples on the men's side. I mean, this past weekend, five of the top 10 teams lost. You had South Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, Duke, and Arizona all losing. You don't typically see that many losses this early in the season. Nobody, with the exception of Ohio State and arguably TCU, I would say, nobody looks really what we expected them to look. And that might mean that they don't look good, and or it might mean that they look bad or they look better than we thought. Like there's just so much volatility within this realm of parody. And it's, uh, it's fascinating. So we'll have to see. I mean, Virginia is the same. And it's like the same, it's like they have one script and they're going to stick to that script. And it's like being very bad in January and February. And then they're going to show up in May. Um, 
so yeah, there's just so many teams that are going to compete here uh, at indoors. It'll be very fascinating. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I'd go big picture of the 32 teams we have in our men's and women's national indoor fields. I feel confident about UNC and I feel pretty confident about the Ohio State men. That's really it. Like everything else is up for grabs. Anyone could maybe like I say, oh, well, Alabama and Washington. Let's like, no, they're going to be frisky. Like Alabama beat Kentucky. Kentucky beat Virginia. Virginia might be Rodesh and Montezlis. They're still Virginia. And how good is Virginia? And how good is UNC? Because Georgia just lost to Texas too. So like, Again, how good has UNC the women? Well, no, I know how good the UNC women are. I'm not even <laughs> going to try and fake sell that hypothetical to you. But everyone else, how good is Stanford? How good is everyone? This is the data points. The weekends are ahead, Jay. We finally gotten here. The national indoors. I'll tell you what. I think this week, these past two weekends of results have been so compelling that my younger brother and cousin Brad were convinced to fly to New York for the men's national indoors, Jay. That's how convincing it has been. And let the record show, I have one brother who doesn't get much mentioned, my older brother, Eric, who actually lives in New York. He will be out of town that weekend. But mm-hmm. my younger brother and cousin are coming to New York. I will be there. I'll be in Seattle coming up, obviously. I get there Wednesday. Ugh, we got a two-week stretch ahead, Jay. It's maybe my favorite two weeks we have in any college tennis season. National indoors are upon us. With that said, that will do it for today's edition of The Deciding Point. Any final thoughts, Jay, before we wrap? Anything you need to plug coverage ahead we can expect from you? Again, I'm looking forward to seeing your smiling face, of course, in Seattle. Yeah, we'll do this in, what, 48 hours as we preview the women's indoors. But we will know the seeds. We will know the first-round matchups. And, yeah, it's going to be fun. I am looking forward to it. A shout out to you. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, as well, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Again, starting Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, we will have coverage, first ball to last, of every main draw match of the 2024 ITA National Indoor Championships. You can follow all of that coverage on our YouTube channel. Go subscribe now so you don't miss out on any of it. Uh, with that said, We will talk to you all on Wednesday. Once the draws are released, we will talk to you all tomorrow to break down the Division I men's weekend in even further depth. But for the meantime, for our fantastic co-host, John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.